Over the years, I've been on my knees more times than I can count, and my strong tower has proven faithful time and time again. He sustains me in every situation. There is absolutely no way that I could parent all of these children on my own without constantly turning to the one who created them and who knows them so intimately. Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday women share stories of hope found in Jesus. I'm Robin, and I'm here with Lindy and Katie, and we are your podcast hosts. Today, we are bringing you a story from Janie Giffen from the Homewood community, which is here in Birmingham. And you'll hear, too, that she is a local eighth grade teacher in a middle school here. And so some of you may know her because she taught your kids. (laughs) Well, I tell you, Janie's story is one that's definitely going to leave you in awe of saying yes to God. (laughs) I mean, my goodness, her story is just so encouraging of just saying yes, even when you don't know what the outcome's going to be. She's also got so many nuggets of little pieces of wisdom in parenting. So you might want to have a notebook out (laughs) to take a few notes. We're going to be discussing those at the end of her story. But here's Janie. Before Janie's story, we are going to give you a few reminders from storytellers. If you have not signed up for our newsletter, just simply go to our website at storytellerslive.org. We send a newsletter every Wednesday, and it gives you ministry updates, live gathering dates, and then also it tells you what the podcast is that drops for that day. Also, if you're starting to plan for summer, if you want to do a small group Bible study, we highly recommend When God Shows Up, Stories of Freedom. We have had a great response this semester. We've had several churches introduce it to their women's ministry with just an incredible response. And so look into it. Go to our website again at storytellerslive.org and consider When God Shows Up, Stories of Freedom for your small group. Here's Janie. Well, when asked to share my story, I quickly said yes to Whitney without really knowing which story I would end up sharing because at almost 50 years of age, My life has really been made up of a conglomeration of many stories that have shaped who I am today. I'm far from perfect, really just a simple-minded eighth-grade school teacher, but God can use anyone, right? My life verse is Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. In the Old Testament and throughout history, Uh, Towers were used as fortresses during times of war, and they served as a last retreat when the town was being taken over by the enemy. And so as I prayed about what I would share with you and began to reflect upon my life stories, I was reminded of the many, many times that I have had to retreat to my strong tower um, in order to find safety and protection. Growing up, I was touched by alcoholism. Uh, My father was an alcoholic. Divorce. Um, My mother has been married three times. Suicide. My grandmother committed suicide. A lot of verbal abuse. Step-parent authoritative control. And even outright parental abandonment. I haven't spoken to my father in 20, maybe 25, going on 30 years. As a young married woman, I experienced the heartache of multiple miscarriages and the delivery and burial of my first child, who was stillborn at seven months old. So through all of this, I learned to depend on the one and only Strong Tower, who would meet all of my needs and who could provide peace during life's challenges and times of trouble. 
So fast forward to eight years ago when my biological children, Jack and Lily, were 12 and 10 years old. We were enjoying a much simpler life at this point, raising two kids in Homewood, uh, walking them to school each morning and maybe stopping at the ice cream shop um, on the way home in the afternoon. It was a much easier parenting season, and I was able to work from home at the time, um, which allowed a lot of time with the children. And Sam and I had always wanted a large family. Uh, Five was the number of kids that we imagined would one day make our house a home. But we soon realized that carrying babies to term was not my strong suit. Um, So after losing our first child, Clara Jane, We felt extremely blessed to have delivered and raised two healthy children uh, to this point. And in fact, the Lord blessed us with Jack on Mother's Day, one year to the date that we lost Clara Jane. But we had discussed adoption many, many times throughout our early married years. A good many of our parenting conversations or future conversations would say or would end with, well, we can always adopt. Um, My mom was adopted domestically. My my husband's best friend was growing up was adopted. So adoption didn't seem very strange to us. My mother was adopted at birth. Um, She was the product of an out of wedlock relationship between a young Catholic man, excuse me, a young Catholic woman and a Jewish man. Um, In the early 50s, those types of pregnancies were, as you can imagine, (laughs) frowned upon. She was born in a Methodist maternity home in New Orleans and quickly whisked away, never to be seen again by her biological mother. Three months later, she was adopted by a wonderful family in rural Mississippi and enjoyed a childhood that her biological mother could have only wished she would have had. Um, so as with many adoptions that happened due to infertility, My uncle was born less than two years later, and I chuckle when I think of what my mom used to say to her little brother. Uh, She would say, yeah, mom and dad had you, but they chose me. (laughs) So um, I just loved her story. But when our daughter Lily was 10 years old, she began praying for a sister. At the time, her big brother was not the nicest to her, and she just really longed for a sister and best friend. She was also keenly aware that we had lost her sister, my first baby girl. So one Sunday at church, Lily signed us up for a Lifeline Children's Services informational meeting. (laughs) She took this upon herself. I guess she got tired of hearing us say, well, we can always adopt, and then nothing ever (laughs) came of it. And it was actually a meeting about foster care uh, that she signed us up for. But that ultimately led to us going to that, to multiple meetings and joining Lifeline's international adoption program. We originally thought, because Jack and Lily were 10 and 12, we originally thought we would adopt a little girl, a sister for Lily, under the age of five or something something like that. And so for those of you who've been through adoption, you know, we went through months of paperwork and, and training through Lifeline, only to find out that God had very different plans for us. <laughs> so a family from Kentucky had recently adopted three children from a privately run children's home outside of San Jose, Costa Rica. And while they were in country to adopt their children, 
They met a sister and brother who lived at the home and obviously did not want to be separated. The older sibling feared that she was too old to be adopted, and because of her, her younger brother would never have a forever family. So this family in Kentucky contacted us through Lifeline, since we were currently enrolled in the Costa Rica program, and asked if we would consider adopting a brother and sister, ages 7 and 11. And this was a far cry from a little five-year-old. <laughs> but we began to pray and study their files. And um, the more we thought about it, the more it made sense. Of course, this would mean more training and additional paperwork and fees. Um, but how could we not? So several months later, we were traveling to Costa Rica to spend five weeks finalizing the adoption process. And then we brought them home on Halloween. Halloween day, <laughs> um, which was quite overwhelming. There was certainly an adjustment period and many struggles to follow. Angela and Jefferson blended into our family beautifully. Um, eight years later, it's as if they have always been Giffins. It truly is. So my husband always says the first time we called Lifeline, the second time they called us. <laughs> so we had no intention of adopting again. We thought, we thought our family was complete. Um, again, Angela and Jefferson fit in so beautifully. It's like they've always been there. And, oh, goodness, we just loved them. So we, we really felt like our family was complete. But two summers later, our Lifeline social worker called me on the phone. And she said that a church group from Texas had gone to Bogota, Colombia, to do some mission work in the local orphanages there. And one particular couple from Texas had met a 15-year-old boy who would soon be aging out when he turned 16, um, which would be that December. And he actually approached the team to let them know that he was looking for a family and um, that he would really love a family and ask them if they could adopt him. And if not, could they help him find a family in the U.S.? He really wanted to come to the U.S. And so as soon as the Texas couple got back um, from the mission trip, they began advocating um, for this young this young boy. And um, Lifeline has a, a division in Texas. And so they found out about him. And my social worker called me and said, I don't know why the Lord is leading me to call you, but um, I, I just we, we've got this this young guy who's going to age out in December, and I know it's July, but we're really in a hurry to try to find a forever family for him. And can you can you pray about that family? I just really feel like the Lord uh, knows that you or has sent me to you because you might know this family, um, but at, but at, at least you could be praying for him to find a family. And I said no. How old is he again? <laughs> and she said 16. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be praying. I'll be praying. We're, my, my kids are not there yet. And teenagers are hard. And I, yeah, 16 is too old for us. But I will definitely be praying for the right family for that young boy. And so I thought about him every day for two weeks and then called her back. And by that December, we were traveling to Columbia to bring Robinson home. And we, he, he came home one week before his 16th birthday. So it was, it was a miracle. The first time we called Lifeline, the second time they called us, and then the third time they actually brought the child to Alabama. 
So <laughs> the following summer, literally a year later, Lifeline connected me to a family in Tuscaloosa who was hosting an 11-year-old girl from Columbia, again, through the Kids Save program. You can host children and they can come to the U.S. Um, for just really an experience so they get to learn our culture and it's just a good experience for them. But the, of course, the the underlying goal is that they will meet uh, their forever family. And so um, the mom, the Tuscaloosa mom called me and she had gotten my information through Lifeline because she was interested in older child adoption, but wanted to talk to other families who had experienced this. And so she called me and we had lunch and I shared our journey with her and and encouraged her as best I could. And And so that summer when they were hosting this young girl, they invited us to come to Tuscaloosa, our family, to meet this young girl and to, to spend time at their lake house. And so we drove to Tuscaloosa and and we really took all of our children because uh, this young girl who was being hosted, she only spoke Spanish and some of my children speak Spanish. And and so it was just going to be a nice way for them to connect with her and for her to have to have that familiarity of the language. And so much to our surprise, we got there and she was a left leg amputee. Um, who had been using a crutch full time uh, for the past seven years of her life. She was 11 and she'd been on a crutch for seven years. So her leg had been amputated at age four. Um, But she was so full of spirit and spunk. And um, she was dancing on her crutch to that popular song Despacito. (laughs) And it was just adorable watching her dance on that little crutch. And Sam and I instantly fell in love with her. But we were very supportive of the family in Tuscaloosa who who wanted to adopt her. When we drove home from the lake that evening, we spent the day in Tuscaloosa with them. And we drove home from the lake that evening. Lily was crying in the back of the van. And I thought, oh, goodness, you know, one of the boys has hurt, hurt her feelings or something's happened. And I said, Lily, you know, I looked back and said, Lily, you know, what's what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she said, well, we just left my sister in Tuscaloosa. And sure enough, by the end of the hosting time, the Tuscaloosa family decided that adoption was not for them. And so we traveled to Columbia that December to bring Samantha home. And the following year, the Tuscaloosa mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and went through a really, really painful divorce. And so the Lord was truly watching over every detail of Samantha's journey to home sweet home Alabama. So not only did Lily get a sister, she got two sisters and two more brothers. <laughs> so we, uh, we just thought that the waiting, fundraising, the travel, and finally getting our children home was the hard part. Little did we know the challenges um, of raising six teenagers, four from very hard places that would lie ahead. So doing life as a family of eight can be difficult as it is, but add in the fact that half of us came uh, to the United States as older children or teenagers. Um, They were abandoned um, by our birth parents, endured things as children that no child should ever have to endure. They speak a different heart language. Um, 
and really you just have a recipe for disaster. Um, And parenting kids through this stuff is overwhelming. After doubling our numbers, one of the first issues that we encountered was just a lack of one-on-one time with each of our children. And we still, we still struggle with that. Um, Our adoptive children craved our attention, time, and energy. Our biological children were grieving the loss of the individual attention from each of us that they had once had. And quite honestly, we were grieving it too. There were several times that Sam and I looked at each other and said, what have we done? What have we done to our family? Um, We often cried out to God for help. We were very certain that the Lord had called us to this. We know we were called to adoption and he had blessed us with these precious, precious children. But we needed him to guide us in parenting and loving them well. Um, We could not do it on our own. So we pray that the Lord would multiply our time with each of our kids and that each one of them would feel special. We started a tradition that's still in place today. Um, Every month on each child's date of birth, he or she can choose a special date with mom or dad or both. For example, Samantha's birthday is July 24th. So every month on the 24th day, uh, Samantha gets to choose a special outing with just us. Um, So some months there are six individual outings. Um, (laughs) And it seems like such a small thing, but... For some of our kids, it really makes a huge difference, and um, and it and it makes us be more intentional with spending that one on one time with each of them. Um, we've seen a lot of fruit over the last few years from this time spent together. Our adoption education classes and books taught us that our children's known disabilities would not be their greatest or most challenging disabilities. This has indeed been true. Hoarding and materialism are very difficult for older adoptees to overcome. And we had to lean into God, um, our strong tower, and each other to parent them through some of this. God has reminded us time and time again the importance of keeping our relationship with Him and our marriage stronger than our greatest or biggest parenting issue. How do we do this? (laughs) Well, Weekly date nights, couples Bible studies, prayer, serving together as a family, attending church together. Um, Gosh, missing that time to worship and grow in God's Word is not an option. Um, Long walks and bike rides together, prayer, Uh, not sweating the small stuff. Um, Did I mention prayer? (laughs) Reminding each other that these hardships are temporary. That kids are, my husband always says, kids are going to do what kids are going to do, and parents need to do what parents need to do. I wish I could say that we got this right every time. We have not, but we do know who to run to when we fail. Former orphans with fetal brains that were touched by drugs and alcoholism, abandonment, and abuse, they struggle with various types of addictions. This can present itself in the form of food addiction or screen time addiction, theft addiction, chronic lying, um, and much, much more. And as we have parented through these hard issues, I've been reminded more than once of Psalm 42. My children have been lifted out of the pit of despair, out of the miry clay, and He has set their feet upon a rock and established their steps. He put a new song in their mouths, 
a hymn of praise to their God. And in Psalm 18, 19, he rescued them because he delights in them. So these addictions and behaviors are not who they are. Our pastor constantly reminds us to not focus too much on what our children have done wrong or are doing wrong, but to continually remind them of who they are and whose they are, and then, of course, what they can become. Speaking truth and scripture over their lives also keeps us from being bogged down by by that worry and fear um, that comes along with parenting. My teens who were adopted as older children often struggle to find their place and where they belong. They tend to be lonely and mention that sometimes they feel out of place in our home as well as in public settings. They unfairly compare themselves to their American-born siblings and wonder what life would have been like if they had not been abandoned or if they had stayed with their birth families in their countries of origin. They wonder what that would have been like to stay in their countries of origin. My children do have some memories of their older, of their early years, because they were older when they were adopted. So they have some, some memories and those memories are not always accurate. And sometimes they lead to an idealistic view of the people in their lives at that age or people that didn't really exist. One of my adopted daughters, Angela, secretly found and connected with her birth mother on Facebook. Um, And once we were aware that that had happened, we were faced with a new parenting challenge, helping her guard her heart while allowing her to feel that I need to know my history and my, my people void that was, you know, in that same heart. So fortunately, Angela has learned to run to her heavenly father in times of sadness, doubt, loneliness, and insecurity. Um, She was baptized after being home for two years. The Lord has completely healed her of so many wounds from her past. When we adopted Angela at 11 years of age, she had rarely smiled with her mouth open. (laughs) Uh, She was just a very sad and sometimes angry little girl. She'd carried a very heavy burden of raising her little brother and And she had been abandoned and separated from her birth mom and five other siblings. Her self-esteem was extremely low, and she was embarrassed of her appearance, particularly her smile. Well, Jesus turned this little caterpillar into a butterfly. He redeemed her story, and his joy now shines so brightly through her beautiful smile. And as her mom It has been an honor and a privilege to watch her redemption story unfold. And doing so makes all the hard so worth it. Being on the front row to to watch her is amazing. And all of my children. Biological children are often overlooked in adoption stories. And I believe that in many ways, adoption has had the greatest impact on Jack and Lily. And quite honestly, most of our biggest parenting challenges have come in the form of helping them navigate the last eight years. Before we adopted the first time, we spent a month praying about the decision to adopt and to go through with the process. We had several meetings and discussed with Jack and Lily about the motivation you know, behind our decision to adopt. We really just wanted it to be um, a pure motivation. We explained as best we could the sacrifices 
um, that each of us would need to be willing to make along the way. And God really softened Jack's heart um, at 12 years old for him to, to look beyond himself and be willing to help others. It would take sacrifice. For him, this would mean sharing a bedroom for the very first time, sharing his toys and his special things, um, sharing his time with his dad, and ultimately giving up his birth order and rank of oldest child in our family and oldest grandchild within the Giffen family. And while these things you know, seem trivial and very much like first world problems, they were really huge obstacles in the eyes of a 12-year-old child. <laughs> At first, we were very concerned that he would not agree to adoption, and we feared that he would resent Lily for wanting it so badly. And there probably have been some times of resentment that she's definitely felt, but the Lord worked in miraculous ways to get us all on the same page. Um, We often discuss the trauma that our adoptive children have experienced, but Definitely the significant changes in our family dynamics, such as the ones we've all experienced, can leave a lasting mark on each and every family member. Since God led us to adoption, and we truly believe that we were called to each one of them, we've always known that He would do a work in Jack and Lily's hearts and use the adoptions of their siblings for their greater good as well. One of our adoption fundraiser t-shirts had a verse on it that's kind of become our family mantra, Isaiah 30, 21. And it says, whether you look to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And though it has not always been an easy walk, we've tried to walk in his ways, being led by the Spirit on the path that he has set before us. Jack and Lily have grown in many ways over the last eight years. They have learned that their parents' lives do not revolve around them, but that we serve an awesome God and seek to do His will first. They've learned how to be obedient to the Father, even when it's not easy or fun. They've learned how to sacrifice for the good of others. They have learned important skills, such as doing their own laundry and cooking their own food. They go to the grocery store for themselves. All of these things become necessities in big families. (laughs) They've become very independent and responsible, but I think they've experienced genuine gratitude um, for what they have and for their upbringing. They've learned how to love and live peacefully with the sometimes unlovable. They've learned to accept and unconditionally love people who were not born into our family and just showed up on the scene in recent years. There's no doubt that we'll continue to see the fruit in their lives from this life experience of adoption for many years to come. It was a little ironic that I was asked to speak to you this month, because to be completely transparent and real, I'm currently going through a pretty tough season since the new year, and especially coming out of 21 days of prayer in January, I felt a a real attack on my family, my parenting, my marriage. We have two graduating seniors, and we will have three in college in the fall. And um, if you've ever parented through a senior in high school, you can imagine how busy we are with these two college applicants. (laughs) And Sam and I are just running in different directions and both working a lot of long hours right now. Um, We've also recently learned 
that we will become grandparents in August. Our oldest, Robinson, and his wife, Patty, are expecting. They are are young newlyweds who still need our parenting guidance and prayer as they navigate adulthood and begin their own family. We've also come to the hard realization that we may very well end up parenting one of our children forever. So the enemy knows when we are at our weakest uh, we've been, or when we've been seeking the Lord um, and are a threat to Satan's master plans. And so he preys on us and waits for opportunities to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's kind of where I've been lately. And I have to admit, I haven't been running to my strong tower as well as I should. And But fortunately, my Heavenly Father also runs toward me. Um And he knocks at the door of my heart, and he speaks to me through his Holy Spirit, and he persistently pursues me. And I feel that pursuit, and I'm so grateful that he's constantly pursuing me. And he reminds me that my hope is in him, and that I can do all things uh, through Christ who gives me strength. He reminds me to continue to run the race that he set before me, and when I feel like giving up, He shows me that He is still here. Over the years, I've been on my knees more times than I can count, and my strong tower has proven faithful time and time again. He sustains me in every situation. There is absolutely no way that I could parent all of these children on my own without constantly turning to the one who created them and who knows them so intimately. I will no doubt continue to seek the Lord in all things and run to my tower again and again and again. Thank you. As a fellow adopted mom, wow, I could read between the lines of so much of this story, knowing the challenges of adopting older children, Mm -hmm. the heart for adopting older children. And the number of times that they said yes Mm. to the Lord is really mind-blowing. It is incredible to hear her journey of, I loved how they said, you know, she said the first time they sought after adoption, the second time the adoption agency (laughs) came to them, and the third time they just went on and brought the child. Right, right, (laughs) right. Because that's kind of how it works, Mm. you know. Um, But the fact that they have continued to walk this journey Mm -hmm. of adopting kids who come from hard places. And the older they are, the more challenging it is. And the parenting that they walked through and having to parent each of these kids so differently, including their own biological yeah. children mm-hmm. and how God has meshed this family together. Yeah. Yes. And I found myself listening just through the lens of being a parent. And I was so inspired. Of course, you're inspired by the adoption <laughs> because just the fact that I live a very comfortable life, and mm. the Giffins were inspiring me to get out yes, of that level yeah. of comfort. Take some but steps of faith. Yes, and, yeah. yes. But also, I mean, I loved her tidbit of, you know, taking the child out every single month on their mm. birthday. Yeah, too. I wrote that and down. I was like, that's something every yeah. parent should do. Uh, so if you're a mom, jot that down right now. I mean, pour in and invest in your kids. And then also, she said that we know who to run to when we fail. Mm -hmm. And man, you just as a parent, you want to create that safe space for your children where they know that their ultimate identity is in Christ. And that when 
they fail or you fail as a parent, you know to run to that strong tower. Yeah, that really spoke to me. In fact, I ended up, you know, y'all know how I like to research scripture, <laughs> but I ended up looking up just some commentaries on Proverbs 18, 10. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that verse actually says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. What I thought was so interesting that I found out is that is the only place in Proverbs where the name of the Lord is found. Mm -hmm. So it's a direct attribute of who God is. And then I found a commentary from Matthew Henry, and I just wanted to read it to you guys really quick because it just spoke so much to me. It says, this is a place of God's sufficiency, rest, and a sanctuary when the enemy attacks, this strong tower that he's speaking of. He says, it's our security. It's a strong tower to those who know how to make use of it as such. The righteous, by faith and prayer and devotion, run towards God and depend on Him. They run into it as their city of refuge, having made sure that they take comfort and benefit of it. They go out of themselves. I loved this. They go out of themselves, retire from the world, live above, dwell in God and God in them, and so they are safe, they think themselves so, and they shall find peace for themselves." and peace will reign. And I just thought it was just such a good visual for me of this idea of running into a strong tower. And I thought that Janie gave such a great reminder to all of us that God alone knows our children better than we do. He knows them more intimately than we do. I think especially as mothers, we tend to think that we know them Mm -hmm. more. And this idea of when we are in those parenting struggles, running into God's strong tower, living above, quote, the world, dwelling with Him, and allowing Him to give us the guidance and the wisdom to parent each child individually in the best way possible. It's what I really took out of her story. And I just appreciate Janie sharing that verse with us and reminding us of that fact. And Janie's story is is just the Lord's hand in making something so beautiful and in, in making beauty from ashes it when she talked about her upbringing and then to see the lord just call yeah. her into adoption to create this beautiful family that loves him that serves him that knows him i just thought wow you, you've the lord did a great work in Janie's life uh, absolutely and the thing that i appreciated the most out of her story mm-hmm. is that she didn't tie it up with a bow right. and say everything's Mm-mm. great she said this is she hard. spoke about the mm-hmm. challenges and how she's constantly having to run to him as her strong tower because it is so hard. And the reminder that God is going to call us out of our comfortable lifestyle sometimes to do things. And that does not mean it's going to be easy and sunshine and rainbows and Mm -hmm. roses. Mm -hmm. But he's so faithful. Yes, he is. You know, he He is is. so faithful to provide everything they need in all circumstances. So I'm so, so thankful for her sharing. Like you said at the beginning, Katie, this was a really vulnerable story Mm -hmm. for someone to share. And, you know, she and I had talked that ahead of time that her kids are very well aware of what she was going to say. Mm -hmm. And they were okay with her sharing these things because they're so open as a family. And that's just so encouraging and inspirational for all of us, you know, to be so open with our kids to say, here's our struggles, but it's the Lord that meets that. It's not our capability. And so I'm so thankful for her sharing this with us and for her kids being willing to allow Mm -hmm. her to share this with us. We hope that you loved her story and we cannot wait to talk to you next week. Bye.